we find ourselves today in the book of Titus. And there's a lot to learn about being the church and being leaders in the church in the book of Titus. What I'd like to do for you today is read to you the very first four verses of chapter 1. Titus 1, verses 1 through 4, they read as following. From Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, I was chosen and sent to help the faith of God's children and to lead them to the truth taught by our religion, which is based on the hope for eternal life. God, who does not lie, promised us this life before the beginning of time. And at the right time, he revealed it in his message. This was entrusted to me, and I proclaim it by order of God our Savior. I write to Titus, my true son in the faith, that we have in common. May God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior give you grace and peace. Now, this particular letter to Titus was one of three pastoral letters that Paul wrote. And this one was written about the same time as the first letter to Timothy. And it contains, and Timothy has some of this as well, but Titus especially contains information about how a leader in the church is to be. What the leader is to be. What characteristics and qualities the leader is to have. And also the church's response to those things. Now, we'll talk a little bit about Titus today. He was a fellow servant with Paul and someone that Paul was very close to. He called him his true son in the faith. We're going to talk about another word in just a few minutes. Titus was a Greek Gentile converted to Christianity, and he accompanied Paul a couple of different times. First to Jerusalem to discuss the issue of circumcision. This is in Acts chapter 15. It was a big problem in Jerusalem where converts from Judaism wanted the people to, to still have circumcision, and Paul said, no, that's not the way it is now, and so Titus was part of helping with that. He was on Paul's third missionary journey where he was in Galatia, Paul was, and he sent Titus ahead to Corinth. And he was with Paul during Paul's second imprisonment. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now there's something about Titus that's special for us today. He was bold. He was eager to not only assist Paul, but in doing so to serve God. When we assist one another in the ministry, we serve God by doing so. It's one way that we show our faith. It's one way that we show our devotion to God and to the people around us. Paul's concern, a lot of the time, was the people around him. The people in these new churches that he was entrusted to, entrusted with building them up. And to find someone like Titus to partner with him in ministry was something, a huge blessing for Paul. Now, Paul's letter to Titus was written when Titus was in Crete finishing the work that Paul had started. That church was now established, and so the next part was establishing and appointing leaders for that church. With the appointing of leaders for that church in any church, there would be the shaping of that church to embody what the Bible says a church is supposed to be and do. The Bible gives us those things that we need to be and do in order to not just be the church, but represent the gospel message in our circles. We're going to talk about that briefly today as well. This letter also contains ministerial instructions for Titus in particular, for the church in particular that he was part of in Crete, but also we're going to see for our church today. My first point for you today is the purpose of a Christian. Seems basic, doesn't it? Paul started this letter with a very special greeting. It's like a resume for every believer. To know who we are is just as important as to know what we are. 
We live in a world where there are so many influences pulling us in so many directions, grabbing hold of our hearts and trying to pull us in whatever direction it says is important. So my question is, what way do we go? How do we know the influence pulling my heart in that direction is the one I should follow? Worldly philosophies are just outside our door. We don't need to go any further to find out what other ideas are and other belief systems are. And so the question is, are we the same people today that we were before we asked Jesus to come into our lives? Now, I'm making a bold assumption. I'm assuming that everyone sitting here today has asked Jesus to come into your life at some point. I shall hang on to that assumption because you're all smiling at me. The answer to the question is no, of course not. We're not the same people. We're not to be the same people. Today, if you sit here in Christ, you are a son or daughter of God Almighty. And that means that we have, I pray, put aside the old sinful lives we once lived, and that we are now, like Paul, becoming more and more each day a servant of God. Now, if we look at this as a word that Paul used, if we look at just the basic definition of the word servant, slave is another word used, but in the context that Paul used it, it's to have a master. It's not being able to dictate the actions of one's life or one's destiny, despite the movies out there that say that we have control of our destinies. Our master, the one that Paul refers to in our message today, is Jesus. And it is he who directed his disciples to use this term and live it out, and we are also to live out this term. Now, I don't know about your circles, but my circles show me that this world is all about me, myself, and I. And I doubt I'm the only one. And I know people that I work with, I know people I come in contact with, where they're part of the culture that doesn't seek to look outside of themselves that often and seek the needs of others. And because we have maybe less of that than we should have in general, we have poverty and hunger around the globe. Because people aren't taking care of people as much as we should, and I start with the church, we are the ones to begin this movement of caring for people in Christ. But because we don't have it, we have a high divorce rate. We have wars around the world. But in the family of God, we have some things that are different. We have grace. We have honor. We have forgiveness. These are guiding principles that we, again, who used to live sinful lives apart from Christ, help us now become others-focused, God-centered, purveyors of blessings to those who need it around us. And this was Paul's position, and he communicated it by calling himself a slave or a servant of Jesus. Now, we know Paul was also an apostle. And I share with you today that there is no one today who can call himself an apostle. And I just saw two days ago someone call himself an apostle. You can't do it. Go to Acts chapter 1. Judas is replaced. How is he replaced? First of all, he had to be replaced with someone who was there during Jesus' ministry. He had to be replaced with one that Jesus specifically chose. And so there are no modern-day apostles. But although there are no modern-day apostles, every believer carries the same mission of an apostle today. It is to preach the gospel message. It is to live the message and provide the message through our actions and through our words. This word preach oftentimes is only assigned to a pastor. Well, there's a W word a lot of people don't like. That's almost the same as preaching, witnessing. Taking the love we have from Christ, taking the gifts we have from God and the new life we have, and simply sharing it with others that we come in contact with in word 
or indeed. And this is central, it's paramount to the lives of Christians today. Being a Christian means different things, and you can come up with your own list right now if I were to ask you. But one is that we have a message, the message that saves lives. Now that's a bold statement, but that's what the Bible says. We have the message that saves lives. That message has come to this church. Oh, someone help me. We have an amen. Okay, that's not the answer, but good for you. Oh, we have this new life in Christ. We have the ability to be saved. We have the ability to take the key to heaven that we have in our hearts and give it to someone else by planting a seed of faith and love and hope in that person's heart. And so every believer in Christ, I believe, for our message today needs to live as a servant of Jesus because he is our rescuer. He rescued us from a place apart from God. He rescued us from Satan's grip. We see this in Colossians chapter 1. He is the establisher of our faith and our eternity. So to live our lives with Christ today, but not be in Christ, do you remember that distinction that we made some time ago? To be in Christ is an expression that Paul used. It means that there's a point in your life, in your past, when you said to God, I am a sinner. Please come into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Please bring me into union with you. And at that very moment, the light switch is turned on, the union is created, and that person is now a saved, called, equipped, separated child of God. That's what it means to be in Christ, to live that life now. So if we're living our lives with Christ, in other words, I've got head knowledge of this, but it doesn't go anywhere, but not in Christ, then my heart is lacking that special connection. And this is dangerous. According to James, it's foolish. Since faith in Jesus brings about a changed heart and therefore a change in behavior. My second point for you today is the purpose of ministry. Why do we do what we do? Why do churches around the globe participate in various ministries? Is it because that we're supposed to or have to? Technically, no. It's because God places within our hearts desires to do things that bless other people. And so with that love, we move forward and we provide as he leads us to in ministry. What was the the, uh, purpose of an apostle? It's the same today as our purpose for ministry. It's sharing the truth that we come to know about God and his love. Now, this includes a couple of things. It includes personal acknowledgement on the part of the child of God. You and I need to personally acknowledge that we have this love from God because we're in Christ, that definition I just gave you. It's a demonstration of that knowledge in the life of the child of God. So it's not only acknowledging that I belong to Jesus, it's showing that realization in our actions so others can see Jesus in us. It's a desire that others would come to the same realization, those known to us. We want our family and our friends and our coworkers and the people that we play with to come to know Christ because of the blessings that we know that come from this relationship. And finally, it's that W word again. It's developing a witnessing lifestyle. It's hard to do for a lot of people, I think. I've been in in the pastorate for 16 years now. And I can tell you, I've had a lot of discussions about witnessing. And I can tell you, a lot of good-intentioned believers have trouble doing it because they're still hung up on the fact that they don't want to be rejected. I had the same problem when I was a baby believer. I don't like rejection. I don't think anyone does. 
But when we witness, when we share, it's just sharing something we know. It's by God's direction. It's by his leadership. It's by his power. This is what the Bible teaches us. So we simply go forward as he says to go. We open our mouths as he says to do. Then we go, he speaks now. He provides those words of encouragement or love or whatever is needed during that moment. And then we go our separate way. We plant that seed and let God germinate it into prayerfully a decision for Christ. See, this is what ministry is all about. What is the purpose of ministry? Now, there are a lot of ways to accomplish these goals, and each church needs to pray for doors and windows to open, for opportunities to come. To each individual believer, we are given the ministry of evangelism. To each church is given the ministry of corporate evangelism. So I personally am supposed to be sharing my faith with others, as are you. But as a church, we have an opportunity to come together in other ways to share our faith to larger groups, perhaps a neighborhood or perhaps a a group of families or whatever that might be. Without reaching out and bringing the grace and the love of God to our circles, to our neighborhood and to our neighborhoods where we live and where we play, we cannot expect the church to have an impact for God. Now, on the other side, so we're talking about going out now, letting people know about Jesus. What about when people come into the church? This right now is our church. And it doesn't matter where we meet because you are the church. The people are the church. We're just meeting in a different building right now. That doesn't matter. We can meet at my house. It doesn't matter where we meet. But what, I mat- what matters is this. What is the internal state of the church that would receive a visitor? Is that church a group of people that love the Lord so much that that church would love whoever walks in the door? Is that church more concerned with the spiritual needs of the visitor than its own routines and rituals? In other words, is that church allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and lead rather than just following well-established practices? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in churches where this was violated. I've been in churches where cliques were so strong Visitors weren't welcomed, and I never understood that. Unfortunately, this is something that happens today. Now, one thing that keeps people from attending certain churches is that what's preached on Sunday is not lived out during the week. There's another problem that churches still have today. The knowledge of Christ, which is paramount and central to ministry, is the only way to be free from sin, according to the Bible. The only way to live lives that are peaceful, joyous, and victorious, and lives that lead to eternity in heaven, it's because of Christ and our relationship with him that these are the blessings promised to us. And this is what we've received. This is what we have the privilege of sharing with a lost and dying world. And a question came to my mind, why proclaim this new life in Christ? Why go to such a degree as to witness It's only this new life in Christ that produces the hope of eternal life from God, who, according to Paul, does not lie. God makes promises. He doesn't break his promises. There are some 300 promises in Scripture. You can count on them. And I don't know about you, but I have called upon God for certain promises over the years. Times when I've had special need. Times when I needed a particular promise to really come to fruition for me at that time. God has never, ever let me down. He's not going to let you down. When we proclaim Jesus, we proclaim the undisputable, immutable truth of who and what God is 
and what he accomplished for us. Well, my final point for you is Titus's status. Let's get to Titus now. He obviously understood who and what he was in Christ because he had such enthusiasm and devotion to ministry. He got it. And Paul said that he was his true son. Titus was his true son in the faith. The Greek actually means legitimate son. There is truth indeed to this relationship and a great love that Paul had for Titus. And this would have been a very high compliment given to Titus for his demonstration of a life that was in union with Christ. Titus did what you did and I did on the day that you heard that call from Jesus. He became an eternal child of God. Now, we've already talked about how to do that today. Titus had a large desire in his heart. How are you and I doing as we do this? He had a large desire in his heart to depart from his Greek culture and his Greek gods and follow the one true God. Before we came to Christ, we may have had all sorts of idols that we worshipped all sorts of understandings and beliefs that we had. And, and, and prayerfully over time, the Bible has corrected those things that were worldly and not from God. That's the process of sanctification, of growing in the Lord each day as the Holy Spirit guides and leads us. Titus's heart, his ears were open to the calling and the leading of the Holy Spirit, same as should be for us. And his character was very close to Paul's character. And this is something we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just as a reference. Titus was very eager to share the love of God. And he was a qualified leader. This is why he was with Paul on those occasions. This is why he was staying behind in Crete to finish the work that Paul had started. He wasn't afraid to do things that leaders need to do. He wasn't afraid to exhort. That's easy. That's just encouraging people. Anyone can do that. Let's go on. He wasn't afraid to convict. This is where leaders sometimes get stuck. Because sometimes we need to, in love, convict those that are veering from that straight and narrow path. He wasn't afraid to teach, to discipline something lacking in our churches today. And he wasn't afraid to love. And so like Paul, Titus was devoted to the cause of Christ. And it showed itself in his actions. Titus's life left a legacy for those who received his ministry, and that is something that still happens today. Let's conclude. The life of Paul is echoed in the life of Titus. And Titus serves for us as an excellent example today of how to respond to the call of Christ in our lives. And we're going to learn more about this in the coming weeks, but this is just an introduction today. There's much to learn about the glories and the blessings of being the church in this book. And it's my prayer that we will be encouraged as we go through this information, that we will be uplifted and energized to do what Titus did during these coming weeks. And doing so is for the glory of God, and it's for our neighborhoods. Amen? Amen.